2: Right. Fast Money starts right now with breaking news. Boeing 737 MAX planes are now grounded around the world, including here in the United States. But the stock ending the day is slightly higher, still, though, having its worst week in three years. Let's get to Contessa Brewer, who has been covering the story for us back at headquarters. Contessa.
0: Hi there, Sarah. The FAA says it got newly refined satellite data that led to the decision to ground the Boeing MAX aircraft. The grounding is temporary while the investigation continues. But this is a dramatic reversal from the support the FAA was voicing even late yesterday about the safety of this particular aircraft. The acting FAA administrator just talked on CNBC about how new information led investigators to see similarities between the two deadly crashes, a likeness in the aircraft movement of the Ethiopian Airlines crash and the Lion Air crash.
3: The full track of the flight Ethiopian flight was very close to Lion Air. Uh, The initial track that we got on Sunday and Monday morning was only three minutes long, the first three minutes of the flight. The new track data we looked at was uh, almost for the entire length of the flight. Also, uh, the evidence that we discovered on the ground uh, actually um, was even further evidence that the flight was very similar to Lion Air.
0: In the order to ground the Boeing 737, both MAX 8 and MAX 9, quote, the acting administrator has determined that an emergency exists related to safety in air commerce. The data recorder, the cockpit voice recorder were damaged in the crash, and special equipment is needed to extract the information from them. So now those data recorders will go to France. Ethiopia is leading the investigation with assistance from the FAA and the NTSB. Now, interestingly, FlightAware sent out a statement saying that it and its partners at Ariane, and this was just confirmed by the acting administrator, had provided the data on Flight 302. It's part of the information they use to monitor these planes globally that is now contributing to the investigation, and we now know that it was potentially instrumental in having uh, the FAA ground these flights. Boeing has also given us a statement. We want to read that to you as well. to have full confidence in the safety of these 737 maxes however after consultation with the faa the ntsb and aviation authorities uh, that they are going to support the uh, out of an abundance of caution and to reassure the flying public they're going to support the grounding of their planes now after plummeting some three and a half percent on the news boeing's share price rebounded it closed up half a percent. And the airlines, by the way, uh, Southwest, American, United, they all say they're working with passengers to facilitate rebooking. There might be some short-term pain on that front, Melissa. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer back at headquarters with the very latest. So analysts on Wall Street this morning saying the
2: long-term impact could be minimal. The stock actually was higher today, as Contessa had mentioned, after being down 11 percent in the past two two days. So you got to ask yourself, is the Boeing bottom for this incident in? Guy.
4: Great to be back. I missed. Welcome I back. Missed everybody. It's big welcome, you. guy back, everybody. Welcome Beats back, anyway. guy. I mean, This is like fantastic. I think the short-term bottom might be in. And why? There, why do I say that? Well, the stock obviously traded pretty well today. I happen to think President Trump did the right thing, and I think he probably did Boeing the company a big favor by doing this. It takes a degree of uncertainty out of the equation. And I do think it's going to be short-lived in terms of how the stock reacts. We had a huge volume day yesterday. We had a huge volume day today. That typically to me says capitulation. The Boeing story fundamentally, I don't think, has changed. Still a huge free ca- cash flow story. Plus, are people really going to try to now back out of deliveries for this plane and get into an A320? It's just not feasible. So I think they'll straighten this out. And I think a couple weeks from now, we'll be talking about Boeing being a $420 stock again.
5: Karen. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this was good for Boeing to, as Gee said, take the uncertainty out of the equation. I think they made a mistake not doing it themselves. However, they can now sort of draft under the cover of the FAA and the president. I think it's the right thing for them. I, I agree with Gee. I think because this is now, uh, I think it is contained. Right. I think it's contained. And so even if we see either for Boeing or for the airlines, some increased expenses because you have to swap planes, that's always expensive. Maybe they even have some insurance if they have to do that. But uh, that will be short lived. So I think this is very good for Boeing for the, sh- I-, I think where the bottom is in.
2: What is, what is the short term? Because to put this in perspective, the Lion Air crash, we still don't know the cause of the Lion Air crash. And that was nearly six months ago. And here we are on to our second crash. Um, so. You know, what is short term? Because we've been six months and we didn't know the cause of that one. This could be another six months. We don't know how long these planes are going to be grounded. What are some of the unknowns? You're a Boeing investor. You hold it. You like it. You still stand by it. But what are some of the unknowns? Well,
6: so, Melissa, well, I think you have to reference again. Go back to 2012 into 2013 when you had the, the lithium battery is, incidents. And in both cases, you know, and then back to 1988 when the, the Max, when the 737 was a new airplane. On the first couple of deliveries within the first year, there was two, fa- you know, two fatal fatal flights. Um, But the reality of the FAA cycle and and grounding the MAX 737s is is something we have seen before. It's something that is is protocol. Um, And and we don't have the black box yet. And, And what I think you have to point out, though, for Boeing, this comes at a time when this stock has been on a heroic run. The last two times they had these kind of recalls, the company, actually, the jury was really out in terms of their production, in terms of really how how efficient they were and effectively getting things off the assembly line at, at least. I think, I think the company's had a phenomenal safety record for decades. Let's be clear. So, um, you know, the stock on valuation wasn't terribly cheap at this point. Guy pointed out the free cash flow dynamics. Um, I, I don't think you have to chase into this one. Um, but do do I think that there's a major sell off coming? No. When I think that demand for commercial aircraft globally continues to get better. Uh, and I think the order book is is not really going to fall apart here. And, and look at Airbus. I mean, Airbus, which was always thought of to be, um, you know, the very weak sister, by the way, is at all time highs right now. And Airbus uh, arguably is rallying not just because of Boeing's weakness, but Airbus. Has been rallying off the charts for two years. It's outperformed the S and P by 25 percent when European stocks have been awful.
2: All right, Pete, what do you say? Because we look at yeah. Boeing at 377 here, mm. very then, intriguing, defending the 200-day moving average. Yep. Um, it's also close about 40 bucks off of the low shortly after the Lion Air crash. So right. you're back to you're back to them.
7: Yeah, and if you go back to Christmas Eve when it was under 300, yep. and, and then this big run up to 460, and now here we are pulled back. Call it 380. It's a little less than 380 right now. I think. What I think is intriguing is the president, I think, did do them a favor. I also think that uh, you were pointing out, Karen, that there seems to be a little bit of stability at this point. You talked about some of the volume as well, uh, Guy. But I think what it sets up for, for me, is when you look around right now, what is the VIX trading at? It's it's 12, 13. 13, something like that. There was no scare last week whatsoever. You look at implied volatility in Boeing, for all the right reasons, it's very high. But if you like the stock right now, you buy that stock and you're selling calls against it. You're getting almost $20 for an April at the money call right now to sell against that. And what you're also looking at, the implied volatility has gone from 16 to 40. I mean, these are the opportunities that a guy like me lives for. I mean, I'm always looking for opportunities as long as the story is intact. We don't really have the full story yet, obviously. I mean, that's still more to come. But if you're willing to say, you know what, I want to take a shot here, that's the way you do it. I'm
2: also wondering if the Dreamliner, and maybe this is a question for Tim, if the Dreamliner incident is fully comparable in that um, it was something mechanical and also there weren't fatal crashes involved right. with the batteries. Fair enough. Absolutely. Which completely changes the equation, no?
6: Look, the liability dynamics here could be extraordinary. We don't even really know what they are because we really haven't seen this before. Uh, and again, going back to their records. So yes, I agree. I'm, I'm really talking about a stock that would have some kind of an overhang and how it's tended to behave in the past after you've had a grounding and even even before. Look, in, in 2013, I believe it took two months, maybe almost three months before you actually saw the the FAA put them back up in the air. And, and yet the stock did most of its damage within the first six weeks of that. And that was really a sideways trade. It wasn't a trade down. It even started to rally before they went back up.
2: You know what's going to s- happen? What's
4: going to happen? I don't know what's going
6: to happen. Senate I know show's gonna the show's going to last another
2: 52 minutes. The Senate's going to call them to Capitol Hill. Dennis Muhlenberg's going to be up there, you know. Yep
6: going to so, be nasty. Right. Is that bad for has, the stock? Right. Sometimes is, that's that another, good. is
2: that headline risk? You
4: know, it's to Tim's point. Sometimes when, you look fit, when Facebook went and testified, that yeah. stock was 152 at the time. I think it was last March or so. And then obviously that stock rallied at $205, and you saw what happened subsequently. So I think it could be a, a great entry point. And look, do I think it can go lower from here? Yeah, maybe. And there's clearly headline risk. But you look at the volume that's traded over the last couple of days. You go back and say, has the fundamental story of Boeing changed? I don't think it has. Yes, clearly these are tragic instance. But are people going to totally change their order book? I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, again, going, if you're going to go from this plane to an A320, the backlog for the A320 is longer. So Five years. It, exactly. So I don't think you can feasibly do that. Now, if they come back and say there's something fundamentally wrong with the, the, the aircraft, then it's a completely different conversation. Again, I'm not an expert. I don't think we're
2: there yet. What's the impact, do you think, on the airlines, the airlines who have to swap out the planes, who have to lease new aircraft?
5: Well, for the U.S. airlines, it's actually less than some of the other ones yes. around the world, right? in terms right? of the so, Max 8s yeah, in, in their fleet. In fleets. terms of how they're going to mix, shift the mix of their, their fleet. I think for Southwestern, uh, that's probably the biggest one that will be impacted. But I don't even know, actually, if we're going to see any big impact here. And I think if there, you know, if there are Senate hearings, Boeing does have an outstanding record, so... They do, they do have, plus they, you know, they're big supporters of the administration, so I don't know how difficult that will be, actually.
6: Just really quick, I also think, if anything, airlines have capacity issues we get concerned about when they start to get aggressive. This isn't going to push them to be more aggressive on capacity. If anything, it pulls them back in. Uh, I don't think this is a major deal
2: all right uh, for more on what this means for the airlines let's bring in david vernon the senior analyst at sanford c bernstein Uh, david great to have you with us you're out with a note um, on march 12th outlining the exposure of the u.s airlines to the max eight specifically and as we all know southwest has the most exposure Uh, it's got 34 max eights in its fleet i believe Um, so when you do the back of the envelope calculation what does this cost i mean presumably they're going to have to either reroute planes cancel routes and or lease aircraft.
8: Yeah, I mean, the challenge you have with this, um, this type of issue, obviously, is when the aircraft are parked, you've got to be able to, you've got to scramble and, and pick some capacity up uh, from other parts of the network. This time of year, you might have a little bit more reserve capacity than you would have in the peak summer months, so that's going for you. But effectively, if you can't replace that capacity, you're going to lose the revenue. The only variable cost you're going to get out would be the flight cost. So the decremental margin, the pain on that lost revenue could be pretty significant uh, kind of day one. You know, as you get through the next Pilot bidding cycle, next crew bidding cycle, and you can adapt the network around the hole that's created by the grounding of these aircraft. You'll be able to catch up a little bit of that. Um, I think in the short term, it could be you know low millions of dollars a day. It's not a large uh, impact on these businesses, which are in you know three three and a half billion dollars pre-tax each expected during anyway in 2019. So it's not a huge impact. Ultimately, though, how much of an impact it'll be will come down to duration. Is this a one-day event? Is this a 14-day event? If it's a 90 to 180-day event, then you've got much, much, much let's, bigger problem on your hands.
2: Let, let's say it's a 90-day event. I mean, just for argument's sake. I mean, if we we're going to use a Dreamliner example um, to the fullest, and that didn't even involve fatalities there, was a battery issue, that was a grounding for three months. So let's say it's three months minimum. What, what does the yeah, impact?
8: I said mean, look, earnings are going to go down in the low, low to mid-single digits. Um but just on on, on, on a pre-tax basis. Um, there will be some offsets to that. They, the airlines do have some profit sharing programs in there, but it's not small. Uh it would be bigger at Southwest than it would be at uh, American. United does have the seven three seven Max9. Uh they don't run the Max 8, but they do run the Max Nine. So it would be uh, a, a a meaningful number. I think the network guys, because of the way they can they can flow traffic through the networks, will be a, a little bit more resilient. The point to point carrier It may be tougher for them to 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 scramble aircraft into those holes in the network, Um, but it's not an insignificant event if if this lasts a quarter. You know that said, you know the next year you probably get it back, Um, and then in the interim you might also get a little bit of a uh, of an uptick, right? These 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 are these are this is capacity that's going to come out of the system. Demand is going to go up in other markets. Um, I don't know that the airlines will go out and try to maximize profit by raising fares on that, but the way the fare algorithms work, you will see a little bit of consequential revenue lift. Um, just given the, the dislocation on 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 the available supply in the market in the near term.
5: David, it's Karen, let me ask you something. For earnings, don't you plan, or I would think most analysts would plan to sort of ignore what happens in the next quarter or two if the companies can sort of give us a good picture of what were the costs associated with this and what would it have looked like without it.
8: Yeah, look, I think this is something that you can look through provided there's a, a path to getting the aircraft back up in the air. You know, one quarter of, of missing 5% of your flying for one quarter doesn't, doesn't knock your, you, the, the, the value of your stock down 5%. I think you can certainly look through some of that um, provided you have a path. I think what you still have to deal with, though, is some uncertainty around this, right? If it's 90 days, could it be 120 and 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 until you get a little bit better view, and hey, maybe it's thirty. So you don't have that that certainty of of the duration, and that's where the real um, the the real risk is. These stocks do investors will look through the long term, but they will trade on the, the the rate of upward and downward earnings revisions over time. And if you take 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 the the, the nineteen number down, the twenty number down, maybe make them down a little bit. Maybe you get it all back. Maybe you don't. Um, So it will take a little bit of an impact. It it seems like it's in the stock. Uh, You know, today the share price reacted negatively on the FAA announcement, and then they kind of came back a little bit. I think the market's getting a little bit more comfortable with with looking at this. Obviously, there's new information. We're going to get more new information as they analyze the the recorder, so there's no knowns here. Sure. Um,
2: Uh, Last quick question, David. We're we're almost out of time. But at what point do the airlines decide, you know, we're going to lease new aircraft, or we're going to lease aircraft to stopgap the planes that were taken out?
8: Uh, I think that'll be an aircraft specific decision, right? So the okay. network planning guys right now probably just canceled their uh, St. Patrick's Day plans. They're going to be working for a while on this, right? They're going to be trying to figure out, um, you know, where can they extend the life of some assets? What, air, what aircraft might they be able to get on lease? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can they spool up? They're also going to be working on, you know, probably trying to figure out when they can get the crew bids because it's not just the aircraft, right? You've got to have the, the pilots trained up on that new type of aircraft and right. have them and available. So there's a lot of moving parts in this thing. So there's going going be a lot of work trying to accommodate, for the, uh, accommodate this over the next couple of weeks. D-
2: okay. David, thanks so much for phoning in. We do appreciate it. David Vernon, the analyst at Sanford Bernstein who covers the airlines. I ask that question because there are obviously publicly traded companies that lease aircraft, and they, for this past week, have been sharply higher. Uh, aircap as well as uh, Aircastle so I was just inquiring about yeah that.
7: and in terms of some of the airlines and the effects I mean Delta is probably the least affected but I think when you look at Southwest and you look at some of the reactions today of some of these airlines the fact that they actually moved into the green that's pretty impressive it tells you that people are at least somewhat comfortable with the idea of where this goes even though there's a lot of unknowns they they it seems like the public didn't want to just completely exit and leave seems like they're, they're seeing that there is value here still yeah. for the, the Uniteds of the world, the Deltas of the world, and Southwest.
4: Real quick, to Southwest, who has the biggest exposure, yes. we're talking about their t- entire fleet is probably close to 800 planes.
2: It's 6% of the hours five flown. And
4: a half, right, and it's 5% of these planes make up their fleet. So 34, I think, of these planes are going to be taken out of service, which is obviously is a big deal. But we're not talking about a catastrophic number of planes taking out of service. So... You look at what Southwest has done, it's moved from 58 down to 50 and a half, 51, traded well today. Tim can speak of valuation, nine times forward earnings, and you ask yourself: did this sell-off create an opportunity? I think the answer is yes.
6: Let me speak to valuation on forward earnings. And, and you know, I tell you what, Delta <laughs>
4: is below nine.
6: And, and so here's what I would say: I mean, we're talking about value, and and, and the analysts talked a little bit about some of the, 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 the dynamics. Look, the sector to me trades like there's a major problem going on. In fact, um, I think these trains, these trains, these planes are, are ultimately ridiculous ridiculously cheap relative to the economy, relative to the improvements in the efficiencies they've put through. If you've been trading airlines for the last five years, you've had enormous opportunities to trade the range. But effectively, you've gone nowhere. Um, Delta, to me, is the best of the breed, and I I stay long.
5: I agree.
2: Even though they're cyclical, I mean, they're already reflecting the slowdown. Stick with the trade. Yep. All right. Still ahead. More on Boeing's problems with the 737 MAX. We are on the watch for more breaking headlines. Plus, despite the Boeing drama, the market rally marches on, the S&P 500 closing above and testing that key 2800 level for the second time this year and later. Check out Roku's big run. The stock has more than doubled in 2019. So why is Wall Street turning against the streaming service? We've got the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. a leading global asset manager.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Roku getting rocked today, down more than 14% after getting two analyst downgrades. That's our call of the day. Luke Kaplan and Corey research both with bearish notes on the stock after a 100% jump so far in 2019, both notes pointing to valuation and increased competition in the streaming space. By the way, Roku is outperforming Netflix, which is up a mere 30% this year comparison. So as Roku's run done, will it keep the crown as streaming king? You
7: know, and Loop also points out the insider selling, which is something that I think, you know, we talk about the insider buying all the time. Why not at least look at what's going on with the selling, which we're seeing a lot of from board members all the way through the C-suite and all the rest of it. So I think that's something, that it's almost as if there's a perfect way to play this stock right now. And it, obviously, perfect's not exactly the right word, but $70 to $45. We've seen this run up and down. They're talking about valuation right now. Loop has a $45 price target on it. That's where it dropped to last time, actually a little bit below that even. But when you look at the overall growth of this company, it's something that I think needs to be considered when you're looking at it. I'm looking at this stock anywhere near 50 or below. I think it has to be a buy. And the reason I say that is look at their growth. Look across the board. Not just earnings. I'm talking about hours watched and all the rest of the other, the real numbers of what they're doing right now. This is a company that's executing and they're absolutely taking space from somebody else. What
2: happens when a little company called Apple comes out on March 25th with a TV streaming service? Which they will. Yeah. (laughs) Which they are reportedly going to do. I I, I mean,
5: that's part of what the stock, the combination of the secondary, the selling and, and and... and the valuation was just so high. I mean, they've been great. They've been in absolutely the right place to be. They've been executing really well. The growth, there were 27 million users. I mean, it's been extraordinary. The stock reflects extraordinary growth, though, right? Even here, even down, even down 10 bucks. And we haven't yet seen the competition yet. Right. It's just, it's, it's a great company. They done a great job, but too expensive for me here.
4: You know, I don't have a great memory. You know that.
2: Yeah, that's it. So, well, I'm getting older. It comes and goes. It comes and goes. <laughs> comes but and one goes. thing I
4: do remember is before we before I left, Roku had a big move to the upside in yep. the after hours on this show. And we had a whole conversation about all the things we talked about. And I remember saying, you know, there's a very good chance that this stock makes a run to the old highs back in October of last year, 74 and half, 75. And then you take another look. Well, so it turns out that's pretty much what happened. So now you have this huge double top to Pete's point at the same level we topped out. Now people are worried about valuation. Karen mentioned the secondary. They just filed an indeterminate amount for a shelf which you have to take into consideration. Insider selling, so it probably puts the stock back to the level that it broke out from a couple weeks ago, $50.
6: Look, I, I don't think that anybody in the space, and I would go to Netflix, which has been flat for 15 months, folks. I realize it's up 30% year-to-date, but look at the move it had, not even just from the December swoon, but even before that. So streaming, there's as we've just said, and we shouldn't wake up and find this. You buy a new TV, there's like 19 streaming services. I can't even figure them out. I just hooked one up that had been in a box in my room for like four months, and... <laughs> and i i'm i'm thrilled because i can watch reruns of this that and the other thing uh, but look bottom line here is um i think the entire space is getting crowded i think the entire space is trading heavy uh and i think they are not growing they're not making money price to sales not cheap there are no earnings so there is no pe
2: for more on the on roku it says the roku so that's like the <laughs> guy would say <laughs> for more on the roku and what's next the for the high-flying streaming stock go to cnbc.com still ahead on fast the rally marching on today as the P 500 closes above 2800 but one strategist says there are still major risks to this market. He'll tell us what's keeping him up at night. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money is still ahead.
5: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click, click, click,
9: click. Writer's block.
5: Release with Canva Magic, right? Magical. Stress less and save time at
0: canva.com.
5: Designed for work. Canva.
0: Yeah. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P 500 managing to close above a key level today, despite global growth worries still swirling around Wall Street. Let's get to Bob Pisani down at the New York Stock Exchange for the latest. Hey, Bob.
3: Hello, Melissa. You know, this is a very important moment for the markets, potentially. We are finally breaching the 2,800 level in the S&P 500. And we've even got a shot at getting over 28.20. We got close today. This is where five rallies, look, I've circled them here, have failed in the last six months, in October, in November, in early December, in late February, and early March. So a break above 28.20 may drag in more investors because a lot of people are still sitting on the sidelines. Despite the Boeing concerns, the VIX has dropped to 13. That's essentially the lows for the year. Now, one thing might be helping. Friday is a quadruple-witching expiration. This is the quarterly expiration of index options and futures and individual stock options and futures. Jeff Hirsch from the Stock Traders' Almanac has noted that there is a slight upward bias in this week. It's been up 24 times since 1983, and it's only been down 12 times. The key, though, long-term, we talk about this all the time, is the global growth outlook. We had good data today with economic news on durable goods and producer prices in the United States, and that may help bulls to argue that earnings may not turn negative for the first and second quarter. Maybe. But to keep the rally going, we need more meat on the bones. That's why investors will be watching key Chinese economic data overnight. I'm talking about retail sales and industrial production. Now, what traders need is better visibility, as I mentioned, on the global growth. facts that recently pointed out that companies with earnings outside the United States, have much lower earnings expectations than companies that have the majority of their earnings inside the United States. And this is the S&P 500, not the Russell. That means that China and Europe need to stabilize to get better visibility on earnings. Elsewhere, Brexit's another mess. The British pound's nearing a two-year high. But what the street wants is for the deadline to be extended and then another referendum that might result in the UK remaining in the EU. Back to you, Melissa.
2: All right, Bob. Thank you very much. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. All right, we go to Tim here. Emerging markets still overall, the most crowded trade on Wall Street.
6: Yeah, well, and and it's about time because, I mean, I tell you what, they they actually have been outperforming now for four or five months. I'm not telling you things are rosy. In fact, China's going to have a bunch of macro data tonight that I think could actually scare people. I mean, retail sales are going to come out. Mm -hmm. If you look where the trend is on this industrial production, all the main barometers really of real time, um, less, I think, so than the PMIs, which you get, which are a little cloudy. Uh, Machine orders last night in Japan were terrible. um, Durable goods here in the States were a little bit better this morning, but that's a choppy number. Look, bottom line is no one's going to be blown away by global PMIs and the global growth dynamics. The question is, did we take the spoke out of the the stick out of the spoke and have a place where markets can start to reaccelerate a little bit? My sense is with stimulus abounding around the world, especially in China. I actually, as I've said in the last couple of weeks, I think data has bottomed.
2: All right. Well, our next guest says there are big risks to this market that could put the rally on hold. Let's bring in Joe Zidal, Blackstone's chief investment strategist. Joe, great to have you with us. Thanks. Um, So on the U.S., you're cautious for now. Well,
9: On the U.S., I mean, we're looking at this this growth slowdown, but I think there's actually a case for optimism here, and that is we are seeing some of these leading indicators showing signs of of troughing, not only here in the U.S., but in China as well. And we talk about the China data that's coming out this week, but what we've seen over the last couple weeks are things like business confidence in China starting to improve, uh, new orders actually in China starting to improve as well. So I think what we've experienced here is a bit of a growth slowdown, but my guess is it stabilizes in 2019. And I think one of the big themes for all of 2019 2019 is going to be central bank liquidity, which is a sharp contrast to what we saw in 2018. So I think the good news for markets is this. The idea that we're going to run into a recession, I think, has been pushed off, which gives us another opportunity for, uh, like, call it another profits cycle. So we're running into a profits headwind in 2019 in the first and second quarter, and that's likely to cause markets to, to pause in the short term. But the reality is with this lower growth profile our our cycle is extended out and i think we can get another profit cycle here so in other words i think the corporate profit story could actually improve as the year goes on or maybe even to 2020 because right now analysts are pretty negative on corporate profits
2: for china that's a place that you're overweight so we're seeing this this sort of inflection in terms of the the data out of china and at the same time we're still waiting for the full effect of the stimulus that's already been put into place not even counting the stimulus that could still be put into place right Yeah, what's the upside from here for a market that's, you know, up, what, 20 percent, something like that this year?
9: Well, I think the upside is that, you know, you've had almost the equivalent of 2.2 trillion renminbi injected into the market from the People's Bank of China through reserve cuts and things like that. At the same time, you've got the ECB who's likely to, you know, sort of pivot fully back into easing mode because I think Europe continues to slow. Not only is GDP growth in, in, in Germany and France sort of really weak, but their leading indicators to t- continue to deteriorate. So I think the upside to the markets in 2019 is global central bank easing. Last year, 56 percent of central banks hiked rates and the monetary base contracted. The last time that happened was 2011, and 2011 was a really tough year for equity and credit risk assets. So I think the big shift this year is that we do swing back to easing. So U.S. cyclicals, things like energy, materials, technology, they're all two to three or 400 P.E. points lower than they were in September's peak. So I think as we do get more of that central bank liquidity, even if we pause in the short term, six to 12 months from now, I think we're higher because valuations are more attractive. The 10-year Treasury uh, yield is lower, and we do have this central bank easing. In the short term it's a tug of war between fundamentals and an earnings problem.
5: So Jay Z, let me ask you something. Mainly I just wanted to say Jay-Z, but also what do you where does it, this where is China if we don't see a trade deal? I mean, it's all this optimism that's starting, that's not starting, it's really been accelerating. Is that all predicated on a trade deal?
9: I think a lot of it is. And I think if trade deteriorates from here, both the US and China lose. There is no winning a trade war. There is no uh, good outcome from a trade war. So I think the big risk to the markets is that this trade war is not resolved. That's risk number one. Risk number two is, let's say we resolve the trade conflict with China, and then let's say we decide to turn and engage Europe or European autos. I think that is a, a risk to the markets. Um, and the way that we see it manifest itself is not through the S&P 500 necessarily, but rather I like to look at small business confidence because if the trade does deteriorate from here and we end up in a trade war, a worse one with China or one with Europe, what happens is this small business confidence deteriorates, so goes GDP. Small businesses in the United States employ 50% of the private workforce And if their supply chains are interrupted or if their prices go higher because of various different reasons and we see that confidence roll over, then take any optimistic forecast and throw it out the window.
4: It's interesting. I thought one of the big stories, obviously Boeing was a big story today without question. But, you know, the president had this press conference and, you know, one of the many things he said is he's really in no hurry to do a deal with the Chinese. And I think that sort of got lost in, in sort of the, the noise with Boeing. And I was surprised the market didn't sell off more. Now, I've been in the <clears throat> camp that this market's going to roll over here at 2800 And last week, I would have looked smart. And here we are right back. And Karen said it for me a couple nights ago. I'll say it again. You now, the fact that the market hangs out here as long as it does, you have to ask yourself, is it giving you that much of an opportunity to sell what has at least been a high for the last couple months? You know, Now, I'm starting to think You know, maybe Joe's right. Maybe we do grind a little bit higher here. We'll
2: see. Joe, thank you. Good to see you. Thanks, Thanks for Gus having, having me. Thanks, Boxstone. everyone. Jay-Z. <laughs> Coming up, it is the big story of the week. All of Boeing 737 MAX airplanes now grounded. That stock is down 11% this week on track for its worst week in more than three years. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, Aurora's new bud. Uh, that stock's oh, soaring cute. after the company hired billionaire uh, investor Nelson Peltz as a strategic advisor. Is the sky the limit for this high-flying pot stock? Much more Fast Money right after this. Course. Welcome back to Fast Money. Aurora Cannabis hitting its highest level since October, up 14% today, as the cannabis company announced it is bringing on hedge fund manager Nelson Peltz as an advisor.
10: Leslie Picker has the details on this budding friendship. Leslie. Uh-huh. <laughs> A budding friendship indeed, Melissa. Who knew the word strategic advisor could have such an effect on what? One company's stock price. Nelson Peltz's new role at Aurora sent that stock soaring today. Aurora says Peltz will help them explore potential partnerships and advise the company on how to expand globally. In exchange, Peltz has been granted options to purchase about 20 million shares at a price of 1034 Canadian dollars per share. Those options will vest over four years and that vesting can be accelerated if the company meets certain targets. But... Having Peltz aboard is also a strong vote of confidence for Aurora. He said in today's release that the cannabis company is strongly differentiated from its peers and that it's well-positioned to lead the development of the industry internationally. The benefits appear to be mutual. Peltz has a long history in the consumer world. He's currently the non-executive chairman at Wendy's, a director at Procter Gamble, and he previously served as a director at Heinz and Mondelez. Gordon Haskett, research advisor, said today in a note that Peltz's connections at Mondelez, Pepsi, and potentially even Procter may have appealed to Aurora. Gordon Haskett believes today's news makes cannabis stocks more investable, adding that they think Peltz's bet was serious and not some, quote, lark that emerged from a smoke filled room. Analysts have noted that Aurora shares would have to triple for pelts to reach his strike price, Melissa.
2: All right, Leslie, thank you. Uh, let's trade this, I mean, that was a first, we spoke to the chairman of Aurora this morning on Squawk Box, Michael Singer, and he yep. talked about sort of the relationship, but I mean, the, the wealth of expertise in consumer products you can't ignore that. Look, you
6: think Nelson Peltz? I, I think Procter and Gamble, and when I think cannabis, this is truly a consumer product story, and, and also as you get into hemp, etc., and CBD oil. So um, it makes total sense. Now, people think about Nelson Peltz; they also think about an activist, and, and so that's not what's going on here. Um, but what's interesting is that Aurora has arguably been the most acquisitive, or basically uh, a company that's used their stock has been on the acquisition trail. Certainly has been out there looking to bolt on new companies. So uh, someone like Nelson Peltz really gives them a lot of uh, additional expertise to a company that was already out there looking. Yeah.
7: I think this is a great opportunity for people. This is a name that you need when you have... That's a great front man, right? I mean, when you're looking around the cannabis, there are so many stocks to look at, so many different choices, and what direction do you want to go? But I think the diversity of what this company offers and Nelson Peltz being the front of it, boy, that certainly says a lot. And I think this is just the beginning right now for this I company.
2: mean, this, really all, this also underscores the institutional institutionalization of this this, sector, right? When you have a big, um, well-known, well-respected investor like a Nelson Peltz get into cannabis, you know. Look,
6: every conference I go to, um, the institutional investors, the consumer products guys, the
4: biopharma guys, sector-specific, mature industries, they're there. And he understands brands. I mean, quickly, I mean, he was a Snapple guy back in the day, right? I mean, so he gets the brands thing. Did you work for Snapple? I never worked for Snapple. Really? You didn't I, would, I would have had you for no. a Snapple guy. I feel guy. like
2: you have had the yeah, hand that, card. Right. With
4: the no, you know, I should have worked for... You know, my favorites... Now we're getting off topic, favorite but they made a mint, shop mint shop. Snapple, which was tremendous. Mint? They've taken that off. Mint or just mint? No, mint Snapple. That I digress. That's okay. I'm, I'm not
2: surprised they didn't make it anymore. <laughs>
6: this is my fault, but, you please. You,
4: you know, now Nelson Peltz has had a, <laughs> roughly a two-and-a-half, three-year relationship <laughs> with Procter & Gamble. You wonder how that sort of blends in, and I think it makes perfect sense to Tim's point. With that said, I think Procter & Gamble way over its skis here at close to 23 times forward earnings at an all-time high in the stock price.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, they really need a guy like this in terms of the they brand, do. the partnership to have a national brand, right, Well, in CBD.
4: Well,
6: he, he, here's what's going on. So, again, remember the farm bill, which had the hemp component, which made it basically federally legal for people to set up hemp and and CBD businesses. We still have the FDA, obviously, with Scott Gottlieb leaving. That has put a little bit of change, although the new appointee or so it sounds like is very CBD friendly. We'll get into more of that. But the bottom line is for anybody that's looking to immediately have a U.S. footprint in in a consumer brand, they don't have to worry about the federal restriction. And I think that's very important. And in fact, Aurora can come here and do it. It's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, by the way. If they started dabbling in U.S. businesses in the illegal, in the cannabis market, that would be a problem for this company. Company, but right. they don't need to. And with someone like Nelson Peltz out there, again, Mondelez, uh, Wendy's. I mean, think of all the big Snack consumer products companies CBD this guy's They all company. kind of go yeah. together. CBD, right? well, well, I mean, they're all so you think about about the
2: is a non psychoactive right? Right, right, yep, vitamins, I'm a big CBD guy myself. CBD yeah. you know, Fritos.
7: By the way, we've had some great paper, actually, option paper in that world as well, in particular in that stocks, in Aurora. So uh, it's interesting to see what's going on in that
5: space.
2: Coming up, Boeing having its worst week in three years as the company grounds its fleet of 737 max planes after a second fatal crash in less than six months. We will tell you how much worse it could get for the stock. Plus, healthcare lagging the market this year, and there is one under-the-radar indicator that could send shockwaves across the space. We got the details from fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. In case you're just joining us, Boeing dealing with the fallout from its second deadly crash involving one of its 737 MAX planes. Countries around the world responding to the incident by grounding the planes until a problem and solution are identified. President Trump announcing earlier today that the U.S. would follow suit. Take a listen.
8: We're going to be issuing an emergency
7: order of prohibition to ground all flights of the 737 MAX 8 and the 737 MAX 8 nine and planes associated with that line. Any plane currently in the air will go to its destination and thereafter be grounded until further notice.
2: Well, it's been a rough week for Boeing and options traders are betting that there could be more pain ahead. Let's get out to Mike Cohen, San Francisco with the options action. And in case viewers didn't know, Mike knows a lot about aircraft and airplanes and how they work. So I'm really curious to get your take, Mike, on top of the action.
1: Sure. So probably unsurprisingly, the options activity has been uh, elevated significantly this week. I mean, we've seen over 400,000 contracts a day trading on average Monday through today. That's well over four times the average number. And we are seeing a very sharp increase in the implied volatility, the price of options, although we can see a little in the options market that tells us when we might start to find some answers and see the volatility in the stock come in a little bit. So the most active options that I was looking at today were the weekly 360 puts. At the time I was looking at them, over 15,000 of those had traded for just over three bucks. It's not surprising in a news-driven story like this that you're going to see people who probably have positions in the stock looking to potentially hedge their downside. However, I would point out that when you look at the price of options going through time, they're going to be announcing earnings in late April. They probably will have some additional color at that time on basically what the future is going to look like we start to see the price of options come in quite considerably thereafter you know when you're looking at june july august and so on so it seems like the options market right now is basically going to expect this to be news driven as it has been but that after that earnings period we probably are going to have much better clarity on how things look for the company going forward
2: so mike knowing what we all know right now in terms of what the situation is and and just having the knowledge the base knowledge that you have about aircraft and, and Boeing, would you be inclined right now to go in long Boeing in any way shape or form um, given, the, given the action that we've seen in the stock today?
1: Well, so that's a, that's a question not only about you know, a specific aircraft but also what their potential competition is. So this is the most popular single-aisle aircraft in the world Their direct competition is going to be the A320, obviously, with that huge order book that they have. I mean, think about how meaningful that is. 5,000 aircraft, $120 million per aircraft, you're talking about $600 billion in revenues. It's a pretty staggering number when you think about it. But what are airlines going to do instead? Are they going to run out and buy A320s? Are they going to cancel those orders? I doubt that that's the case. This is the most popular aircraft. I think it's probably going to be the most popular aircraft once these issues are resolved uh... the real question i think that people ought to be thinking about is what's the company's liability and that obviously is going to be a permanent knock on the stock they're going to have to obviously offer some compensation
2: pete what
7: do you think yeah and and mike brings up a lot of good points and he and i were talking about sim- sort of similar things when we were talking about this implied volatility has gone through the roof right. i mean when you go from sixteen to forty and mike Really read that off really well. I got to tell you something. I mean, these implied volatilities, you don't get an opportunity to see that very often. So that's why to see people buying and paying up so much for the puts is a little bit extraordinary, quite honestly. But this is something that's going to go all the way, mostly, probably call it all, all the way to earnings. Get a little bit more clarity then on what some of the impacts are, what the liabilities might be. And by getting some of those answers, then we'll see some of that volatility come back out. But you might even see volatility stay even past earnings into May, I would think.
6: Well, I guess that was my question, because at some point, Pete, don't, don't you think that the market is going to start to work through this even right after the yes. black box day? Yes. So, I mean, would you be trading these things hard over the next couple of days? Absolutely.
7: Yeah. I, I've been, I was staring at them yesterday, stared at them again today, didn't make a move, but um, just very much considering owning the stock and finding some nice, juicy ones to sell.
2: Mike, thank you. Mike co in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, healthcare rallying this year, but still lagging the markets. And there is one under-the-radar indicator suggesting the sector is falling ill. We've got the details. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Healthcare underperforming the broader market this year and big pharma stocks could be about to face a new set of problems. That is according to a report by Barron's. S&P ratings assigning the pharma industry a, quote, negative outlook for 2019. Earlier this week, citing companies' balance sheets could weaken as shareholders demand higher payouts for a, quote, moderate decline in profits. The firm also warned that those same companies could make large debt finance acquisitions as M&A heats up in the space. As companies like Malincroft and Teva face lawsuits on top of of all this for marketing and distribution of opioid products. So how bad could this get for big pharma, Karen?
5: Well, I mean, if the debt markets get bad for big pharma, that's really bad. Yeah, That's really bad. But that has to happen not just in a vacuum, I think within debt markets being shaky as well. But if that happens, there's a lot of reasons as they cite, whether it's they do big acquisitions they take on a lot of debt, uh, whether they have big liability, whether they pay out big dividends or do big repurchases. But to me, the risk reward in the trade would Really, if if you think all those things are true, I'd be short the equity or short some index. If you don't want to be short specific names, I think the risk reward from that, I mean, look what happened to Bristol Myers when they announced uh, the deal. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'd play it through the equity rather than the debt.
2: Yeah.
4: I'm still inclined to be bullish in these names. I mean, Eli Lilly continues to make new all-time highs. Merck has been on fire. Pete's talked about that for a while. Even Pfizer, although it hasn't broken out from this 43 level, has done well. And the bad names, the stocks that have issues, have been punished. Bristol-Myers, to your point. You had an opportunity a couple weeks ago when the Bristol-Celgene deal got nixed. When Celgene traded down to 82 on this show, we talked about it being an overreaction. It's probably going to go back to 88. Here it is now. So I hear what Barron's is saying I still think big cap pharma works. It
2: is an interesting cocktail in terms of the drug pricing, which we didn't even really mention in terms of the pressure on profits. So if you have a combination of these big pharma companies like Bristol Myers, which may face some pressure on the drug pricing front in terms of squeezing margins on top of their forced to look for acquisitions, you've got these two really detrimental factors working against you all at once as an investor.
6: Right. But I think you've seen real separation in, in big cap pharma and guys referring to this. I mean, Bristol Myers has, has done nothing where Eli has been been a horse. Um, and, and so someone like Pfizer to me, where you're you know, roughly 14 times in an environment where people are very concerned about earnings growth and valuations. Um, you know, I think Pfizer's straight up the middle. I, I, I have to think the drug pricing noise is what it always seems to be, which is noise right now. Um, and, and I think, if anything, that's an opportunity. But but big cap pharma and the balance sheet at, at, at Pfizer, to me, is something actually I'd be encouraged by.
7: I, I tell you what, I agree with you in terms of some of the noise, but I would also say the reason I still love Merck trades 15 times, even though it's at highs, and they got an incredible pipeline still with unbelievable drugs right now on the market with 10 more in final stage. Got to love it.
2: Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Pete. Tell you what,
7: play the range. Macy's, it's time again. Went long the calls. Giddy up, big buyers. Tim, those
6: airlines trading at recessionary levels. Delta is best of breed. Delta Airlines.
5: Karen, I love the economic data. I want to stay long, but with the VIX here, I got to buy some puts to protect my longs. S and P puts.
4: E. Fun show. It's great to be back. Great, great to be have have you back. You know, other than we my face, it. you know, it's breaking out there, no. Mel. No, <laughs> no idea. No idea. <laughs> I know you don't have any idea, but you look at the screen. That capital oil and gas, C O G. Cab- All right, that's All us. Rusty right. we'll
2: back here tomorrow at five for fast Bad money starts right now.